How would you like to live in a country where a violent crime occurred every 26.2 seconds? Where there was a murder every 32.5 minutes? A country where a sexual assault took place every 68 seconds? A rape occurred every 3.8 minutes? A robbery took place every 1.9 minutes. And an aggravated assault happened every 39.2 seconds. Well, I didn't just describe some third world country. I described the country that you and I live in. Those stats come from the FBI crime clock for 2018. They're much worse even now. <clears throat> I just couldn't find more recent data. That's the America that you and I live in today. Additionally, in 2020, 930,160 babies were murdered in the womb. The politicians call it abortion. Tomorrow, July the 4th, we will celebrate in this nation what we call Independence Day. A day that commemorates the adoption of the Declaration of Independence by the 13 original colonies. That was the beginning of the creation of this great nation, the United States of America. Now, right at the very outset this morning, let's have an understanding. I love America. And I make absolutely no apology for doing so. I love America, but I do not have to like the direction that America is heading in. I believe that foreign countries and radical terrorism and radical Islam is one of our greatest threats. And I'm well aware that we have powerful enemies throughout this world. Are you listening? The most powerful enemies of our nation are within our nation. The problems that we face in America of the 21st century are problems that have domestic and international implications. And there's hardly an American home where separation and heartache are unknown. And in our country today, we have racial unrest. We have class warfare. We have emotional instability and we have economic uncertainty. And the sad part is the majority of this unrest is fueled by intellectually dishonest politicians and intellectually dishonest members of the news media. Our government is a government that is riddled with protocol 
a government that's clogged with bureaucracy and a government that's filled with corruption. And through tear-dimmed eyes, there are millions of Americans who wonder, what does the future hold? Arnold Toynbee was a noted historian. And Arnold Toynbee wrote that of 21 notable civilizations, 19 perished not from external conquest, but from the evaporation of belief within the nation. There is abundant evidence that America has already begun in many ways to make that same fatal choice. And that's why this morning we turn to the words of the wise man for our text. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34. Where he would write, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Maybe this would be an apt description of our nation. There is a rapid increase of divorce with the undermining of the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of society. There are higher and higher taxes with the spending of public money for bread and celebration. There's a mad craze for pleasure with sport becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. There's the building of giant armaments when the real enemy is within the decadence of the people. Finally, observe the decay of religion with faith fading into mere form, losing much, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to guide it. Does that sound like America of the 21st century? Actually, those are five factors that contributed to the fall of ancient Rome. Those are mentioned in the definitive work by Gibbons, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Now, as I said just a moment ago, I love America. And I am an unabashed patriot. I love America, and that's not just a recent thing. Unlike some folk that I've heard say things in recent years, I've been proud of my country all of my adult life. Now, I realize there are some folk who are ashamed of this country. I know there are some folk that try to go all over the world apologizing for America. I know there are people that stand on foreign soil and trash America and trash her institutions. And I know there are people that feel like this country is a mean-spirited place. And there are a lot of people that want to model America after the failed nations of Europe. And some today even want to model America after failed socialist governments. 
I have a great suggestion for those folks. Rather than model America after Europe, or rather than model America after some socialist state, just pack your bags and move to Europe or move to some socialist state and leave us alone. They would be happier. And those of us who really love America would be happier. I'll be honest. It makes my blood boil. When I see on the television screen images of those who burn our flag, spit on our flag, and speak vile, vulgar, rude, crude, boorish, and socially unacceptable things about the land of their birth. And people spit on the flag. They burn the flag and the Supreme Court comes along and says, well, burning the flag is protected free speech. And that makes me want to say, you've got to be kidding. But that's the kind of nonsense that's taking place in our country today. Homeowners Association and management companies make someone take the flag down from the balcony of an apartment or out of the yard of their home because the homeowners association doesn't allow it. But some Neanderthal can come along, pour lighter fluid on a flag and set fire to it, and that's protected free speech. American soldiers shed their blood on foreign soil to allow that kind of foolishness. I love that flag. And yes, I get misty-eyed when I hear the Star-Spangled Banner, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. And it's because of this deep love and affection that I have for America that I fear so greatly for her. We often hear people sing and we often sing in groups that familiar hymn, God Bless America. We hear politicians say at the end of their speech, God bless the United States. And when I hear some of them say it, I wonder if they even really know what they're talking about. But that song closes, God Bless America, my home, sweet home. But that brings to mind the question of the hour this morning. What kind of America can we expect God to bless? A great nation can survive a political or a financial collapse. No nation can survive a spiritual or moral collapse. And I would be remiss at this point in my judgment if I did not comment on some recent developments in our country. There was a football coach in Washington State a few years ago who got fired from his job because he dared to pray publicly on the football field following a game. They fired him. He filed a lawsuit. 
the Supreme Court recently upheld his right to pray on the field after a ball game. And I'm thankful to God for the sanity that led to that decision. And yet, as you watch the news reports, it was almost comical to see left-wing secular progressives lose their mind because this man could pray after a football game. And I'm rejoicing over the recent decision concerning the practice of abortion. I unashamedly rejoiced over the decision to overturn the Roe versus Wade ruling. Because that opens the door, beloved. It opens the door at least for us to be able to place some restrictions on the barbaric practice of abortion. Something that some politicians and some groups are advocating be available even up to and including the moment of birth. You can call it abortion. You can call it a woman's right to choose. You can call it anything you want to. But it's intellectually dishonest. Abortion is nothing more than a euphemism for murdering an innocent baby. And to be honest, I can see no way to describe an abortion that is done simply because it would be inconvenient for the mother to have the child as anything other than murder. It's also the most unconscionable evil present in any society. Abortion does not make a woman less pregnant. It just makes her the mother of a dead baby. Now why do I have those feelings? Because God in His Word makes it clear that that precious little baby is already a person. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, God said. And you know what? That's really all that matters is what God said. What I think, what you think, what the Supreme Court of the United States thinks, what the Congress thinks, what our state legislatures think, what the talking heads on television think, what anybody thinks is totally immaterial. God tells us right here, He's creating that child. And He has already recorded the days of its life And I don't need anybody to tell me what God has already made clear. It's all in Psalms 139. Go read it. Our text says, Righteousness exalteth a nation. The text indicates that righteousness is something that is required in a nation. Basic morality has not yet been sufficiently applied to politics. 
It is forgotten that the Bible relates to communities and nations as well as individuals. We still have not learned that what is wrong in an individual is also wrong in society. The reign of righteousness must govern public and national movements if the will of God is to be respected. This will come as no shock to you. Righteousness is not a concept that is in vogue in America today. You don't hear the news media beating the drum and making a plea for righteousness. When was the last time you heard a politician speak about righteousness? And yet from some open mic moments, a lot of them are really good at profanity-laced tirades. The righteousness of a nation involves three things. Number one, it involves and implies sovereignty. If there is such a thing as righteousness, then someone sovereign must determine what righteousness is. Humanity has a varied righteousness. In fact, a better term for it would be situation ethics. And as humans, you and I would never be able to agree on what is righteous and what is unrighteous. God is an authority on righteousness. In Psalm 98 and verse 2, The Lord hath made known His salvation. His righteousness has He openly showed in the light of the heathens. Righteousness implies sovereignty. Righteousness also implies a standard. And sadly, society today doesn't want a standard. Most of society will not even acknowledge that one exists. And that's the primary reason God's Word is so often attacked by unbelievers. If you go back to the founding of our nation, you will see that the Bible was a book that was held in high esteem. And there are both direct and indirect quotations from the Bible in the correspondence of the founding fathers of our nation. So righteousness of a nation implies sovereignty, it implies a standard, and it implies a straightness. It's one thing to admit there's a standard. It's quite another thing to make that standard your own. The word in our text, righteousness exalteth a nation. That word, it intimates a personal righteousness. It intimates a personal morality. And righteousness is a blessing to a nation. To the cynical politician, counsels of perfection that would command conscience in government are simply visionary and impractical. But beloved, there are such things as national sins. Sins that are committed by a great part of the nation. 
sins that perhaps shamefully characterize a nation. Things like greed, dishonesty, and corruption in public office. Drunkenness, gambling, sexual immorality. Oh, and here's a tough one. Lying. Just listen. Just listen to the news reports, to the politicians, the talking heads. And do you know what the Bible says about liars? Over in the last part of Revelation, John, by an eye of faith and a vision, gets a vision of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and he talks about what's outside the walls of the city. John talks about what's outside of heaven. He says, without our dogs and murderers and whoremongers and everyone that loveth and maketh a lie. I didn't say that. I didn't come up with it. It's right there in God's Word. Righteousness is obtained by following Jesus Christ. If we would be a righteous nation and ask God's blessings on America, then we have to follow Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul would write in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We must pray and we must pray unceasingly. James would tell us, pray without ceasing. James would tell us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We must pray at home. We must pray at church. We must pray at midweek services. We must pray driving down the road. We must pray doing the laundry, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, doing our chores. We must be a praying people. We must pray when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. We must pray at every opportunity. If we want to see good things happen in America, and if we want to see good things happen in our own lives. We must pray for everyone who means anything at all to us. And we have to pray for some that don't mean anything to us. We have to pray for our mates, for our children, for our family members, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our leaders in the church, for our leaders in the nation. Are you listening? If we pray long enough, hard enough, fervently enough, and faithfully, God will change things for the better.
We must never doubt the power of God, nor the power of prayer. We've got to do something else. Look at verse 2. For kings, for all in authority, that we may live a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness. We've got to live righteously. That's you and I, us, me and you. God wants us to be a godly, holy people. Are we? Or do we sometimes behave like a beast? At Walmart? At home? At work? Driving on the freeway? Shopping? You know... Really and truly, we can be pretty good people at church. Most of the time. God is interested in how we act outside the church. God's interested in how we act once amen is said and we walk out those doors. We've got to live righteously. We've got to live God's kind of life and live it God's way. And we've got to evangelize fervently. We've got to tell other people about Jesus Christ. One of the best ways to do it is by letting others see Jesus living in us. But Jesus also gave the Great Commission. He said, go ye to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. It was universal in nature. It was worldwide in scope. And it's the duty of every generation to take the gospel to the world. And sadly, most of us are doing little or nothing to present the gospel to a lost and dying world. The unbelieving world is loudly still shouting its message. It fills the airwaves. And the church is barely sometimes whispering the gospel. God doesn't expect us to do everything. But He expects us to do something. And if we're living God's kind of life, and if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Master of our lives, He's going to show through. He's bigger than we are. And if He lives inside of us, He will show through and the world will see Jesus living in us. Here's the question. Are you following Jesus this morning? Are you living God's kind of life? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Or do you need to make changes? Don't know what's going on. But maybe you've never put the Lord on in baptism. Maybe you need to come in simple trusting faith and repenting of sin in your life, confess the name of Christ and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins and make Jesus Lord of your life. We want to help you. Maybe you've done that. Oh, but the world has seen the beast in you, but they haven't seen Jesus in you. And you need to come back and, brothers and sisters, pray for you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what your needs are, but we can help you. If we can help you live closer to the Lord, and we can help you make Jesus Lord of your life, come and let us do that as together we stand and while we sing.